1 Kings chapter 6. We're going to look at kind of a lengthy portion of Scripture tonight. It's going to be verses 14 through 38, so we'll be reading some lengthy portions as we go along through this. But get this adjusted here. We're going to be looking tonight inside the temple. We looked outside the temple already, and now we're going to take a, a peek inside of Solomon's temple here. Remember the first part of chapter 6, verses 2 through 10. Uh, showed us the temple's exterior and all what that was all about. And then kind of out of nowhere, kind of out of the blue it seemed like, uh, God interrupted Solomon in his building project as he was working on the temple there and told him that he would bless him if he was faithful to keep his covenant. If he was faithful to the commandments of God, then God would bless him directly. And because of that, then in turn the people would be blessed. We saw that in verses 11 through 13. And now the rest of the chapter shows how the temple was finished on the inside, uh, the remainder of chapter 6. Now remember, only the priests were allowed to enter into the temple. And so most Israelites, unless they were a priest at some point in their life, were not allowed to look on the inside of the temple. So they didn't know what it looked like. Obviously, we've never looked on the inside of the temple either. We can just go by what we, what we see here. And so what we're going to see here tonight, really, we're going to be taken on a tour of the house of God. We're going to be taken on a tour of where God resided among His people in Solomon's temple. Well, the first thing we notice inside Solomon's temple is how it was uh, so naturally beautiful. Look at verses 14 through 18. It says, So Solomon built the temple... And finished it. And he built the inside walls of the temple with cedar boards from the floor of the temple to the ceiling. He paneled the inside with wood. And he covered the floor of the temple with planks of cypress. Then he built uh, the 20 cubit room at the rear of the temple from the floor to the ceiling with cedar boards. He built it inside as the inner sanctuary, as the most holy place. And in front of it, the, in front of it, the temple sanctuary was 40 cubits long. The inside of the temple was cedar carved with ornamental buds and open flowers. All was cedar. There was no stone to be seen. So remember, the outside of the temple was built with stone. It was uh, quarried from the quarry there. It was all chiseled at the quarry and brought there, and it was fit into its perfect place without a sound of a hammer or chisel being made. It was a miracle from the Lord. But inside the temple, we see here that everything was covered in wood. Everything was covered in this beautiful cedar wood that they had got from the king of Tyre. Now, even the Holy of Holies was covered with this beautiful cedar wood. The floor was even made of wood there, we see. It was made of, not cedar, but it was made of cypress. It was made of cypress because cypress was sturdier, it was more durable, and it was more suitable for all the walking and the, the traffic that would uh, be happening there on the floor of the temple. Now, as far as I know, I've seen some theories and some guesses. But as far as I know, this wood inside Solomon's temple didn't really have any symbolic significance, per se. But the significance it did have is this. It was beautiful. And it was the best they had. And so they used the most beautiful wood they had. They used the best wood they had to build the house of God. 
to decorate the inside of the house of God. The cedar wood inside the temple was also beautifully decorated. It wasn't just wood slapped on the walls. It was beautifully decorated. Verse 18 said it was carved with ornamental buds and open flowers. And all these uh, different scenes of nature, if you will. Uh, it kind of looks similar to a garden. And we'll talk about that as we go along. And so all these details about the inside of this temple tell us something very important about God. God loves beauty. God loves beauty. He appreciates beauty. He appreciates artistry. Uh, If you don't believe it, just look at some of the things God has created. He has created a very beautiful world. And so he also, we see, maintains a very high aesthetic standard. In other words, he cares about the way things look. That he's associated with. So in light of that, we should care as well. We should care what the house of God looks like. We should care if we do anything for the Lord. We should care what that looks like. Matter of fact, the Lord says everything we do, we should do as if we were doing it unto the Lord. So even if we're on the job, we should care about what that looks like. And so, Because God does. And so the interior of Solomon's temple we see was adorned with trees and fruits and flowers that were carved in this wood uh, from the world he had made. And so the decoration inside the temple here reflected the beauty of creation back to the Creator. Psalm 96.6 says, Splendor and majesty are before Him, strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. So we see that in the midst of God's sanctuary. Well, not only does God create beauty, and not only does God love beauty, but He Himself is beautiful. God is a beautiful God. Uh, One Bible scholar said, God is the foundation and the fountain of all beauty. You know, when Solomon's father, David, when he dreamed of building the temple and when he dreamed of going there uh, to the temple to worship God, it was mainly because he wanted to see the beauty of God for himself. We find that out in Psalm 27, 4, penned by David. He said, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And here's the reason why. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. That's what David was interested in, gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. And so, I believe we see here, because of what David said, because of what David desired, the true beauty of God is not anything external. As beautiful as the temple was, as beautiful as the decorations carved in that wood was, as beautiful as the Rocky Mountains are, if you've ever seen them, whatever the most beautiful landscape you've ever seen is, as beautiful as that is, it's not as beautiful as God. God wants us to focus on the true beauty of His inner character because He is the most beautiful thing in existence. God, we find out in the Word of God, is beautiful in the love that He shows to His children. He's beautiful in the mercy that He offers to lost sinners. He's also uh, beautiful in the perfect harmony that He displays in all of His divine attributes. He's perfectly beautiful. But we see the true beauty of God reflected in His Son, Jesus Christ. That's where we see God's true beauty. Not that Jesus was especially beautiful on the outside, in His uh, person, 
in his physical appearance. As a matter of fact, the Bible says just the opposite. In Isaiah 53, 2, it says that he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. But Jesus Christ is more beautiful than any other person that has ever lived. Even though he might not have been a supermodel on the outside. Why is that? Because he is beautiful because of the perfect love that he showed to mankind. And because of the perfect, holy, costly sacrifice that he made on our behalf to provide us with our salvation. The cross was ugly. It was brutal. It was horrific. But for all its ugliness, the Lord Jesus Christ's death on the cross was the most beautiful thing that anybody has ever done in the history of the world. At the cross, this is what happened. One perfect life was offered in suffering, was offered in pain, so that everyone who believes in Him would be forgiven. That's true beauty. And now, because of that, because of Christ's beautiful sacrifice for us, God is doing something beautiful within us if we're a Christian. If we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what the Holy Spirit is doing? We talked about it a little bit last time. The Holy Spirit is chiseling away all that ungodliness, all that unholiness that is within us. He's chiseling away in the quarry of sanctification and He's making us more beautiful like the Lord Jesus Christ every single day. He's making us more beautiful all the time. And so... The Holy Spirit is building really in us a beautiful temple. Just like Solomon built a beautiful temple. The Holy Spirit's building a beautiful temple, the holy temple of the Lord within us. So just as the true beauty of God is His inward character and not any external appearance, we should care more about that as well. We should care more about our inner beauty, about our holiness than our outward appearance. We need to really take the prayer that Moses prayed and pray it for ourselves. In Psalm 90, verse 17, Moses said, Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. That's what we should focus on. Well, Solomon also filled the temple, God's house, not just with beautiful wood, with all the carvings and decorations in it, but with pure gold. Look at verses 19 through 22. It says, And he prepared the inner sanctuary inside the temple to set the ark of the covenant of the Lord there. The inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and 20 cubits high. It's a perfect cube. He overlaid it with pure gold and overlaid the uh, the altar of cedar. So Solomon overlaid the inside of the temple with pure gold. He stretched gold chains across the front of the inner sanctuary and overlaid it with gold. The whole temple uh, he overlaid with gold until he had finished all the temple. Also, he overlaid with gold the entire altar that was by the inner sanctuary. So just picture it. You walk in the, the temple of God, Solomon's temple, and there's gold shining everywhere. Everything is covered with gold. Uh, this was really the main impression that people take away uh, when they read or, or uh, study about Solomon's temple. Gold, it says, covered the walls, it covered the ceiling, the main sanctuary, also the altar of incense. Uh, gold also covered the inner sanctuary. Well, you remember what that was? 
The inner sanctuary was the most holy place in the temple. It was the holy of holies. It was where Solomon set the sacred ark of the covenant, the text tells us. That was where, according to Leviticus 16, where atonement was made for sin. The holy of holies, we see in the text, was constructed in the shape of a perfect cube. Uh, That's a symbol or a sign of orderliness, holiness, and perfection. You know what else is shaped in the form of a perfect cube? Does anybody remember? We'll be looking at it in Revelation soon. The New Jerusalem is in the shape of a perfect cube. It signifies orderliness and holiness and perfection. The New Jerusalem is going to be perfect. Well, Solomon even covered the floors in gold. It says in verse 30, The floor of the house he overlaid with gold in the inner and outer sanctuaries. So he even overlaid those boards on the floor there with gold. And so, the house of God was gold in all its glory. It was gloriously gold, if you will. And it wasn't just any gold. Verse 21 says it was pure gold. Pure, the best gold. This was the house of God, right? God deserves the highest honor. And that's what Solomon did for the Lord. For God, in Solomon's estimation, God deserved the best that there was. And that's what he gave him. Solomon didn't spare any expense here. And I've read some Bible commentators and they say, well, that's just overkill. That's just a waste of money. God didn't see it that way. He didn't see it that way at all. As a matter of fact, God said in 1 Kings 9, 3, this is what he said about it. He said, I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. Listen, if God puts his name on something, you can bet it's right. And you can bet that it is good. And he did that. He put his stamp of approval on everything that Solomon put inside this temple. He went on to say, My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. God deserves the best we can give. And God puts his stamp of approval on that. And gold, by the way, is the medal of kings. And so since God rules over everything, it was only right for Solomon to put all this gold in this temple because he is suitable for royal honor in giving him that gold. Well, as glorious as that was, the golden glory of Solomon's temple does not even begin to compare to the glory of God. It's not even close. The most glorious thing about Solomon's temple was not the beautiful wood, not the beautiful designs carved in the wood, not the pure gold that he overlaid everything in the temple with. The most beautiful thing about it was the glory of God that was there. That was the most beautiful thing. And so now we see God's glory again where? I used to always tell the youth group, if I ask you a question you don't know the answer, say Jesus, right? That's where we see it. Now we see the glory of God displayed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the perfect image of God, who is the greater than Solomon in the kingdom of God, remember? Once Jesus made that beautiful sacrifice on the cross that we just talked about earlier, when He offered His body as the sacrifice for our sins, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 tells us that God raised Him from the dead and gave Him great glory. That's where we see the glory of God now in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, if our God is such a glorious King, 
and deserves all of all of this and I, I in my estimation he does in Solomon's estimation he does then we of all people who call ourselves Christians right we ought to be quick to give him what he deserves we ought to be quick to give him this glory to give him honor and obedience because he deserves it we should be quick to bring him our gold in other words to build up his temple which is what the church we should be quick to do that. But we have something better than gold to give Him, don't we? We have something more, better than pure gold to give the Lord Jesus Christ, more precious than gold to offer our King than money, and that's ourselves. We can offer ourselves as living sacrifices to the Lord, to His service. That's the best thing we can give Him. God don't need our money. He wants it. He wants it because it keeps us from loving it. But God just wants us. And if He has us, guess what? He'll have our money. And He'll have our talents. And He'll have our time. He'll have everything else if He really has us. So we should offer Jesus the treasure of our hearts. We should offer Him the worship of our mouths. We should offer Him the best uh, that our hands can do because He is the true glorious King. He deserves it. But God's not just the, the King of earth. God's also the king of heaven, right? This is also symbolized in Solomon's temple. The temple, we find, was divided into two parts. It was divided in the outer chamber, which was called the holy place, and it was divided in the inner chamber, which was known as the most holy place, or sometimes we call it the holy of holies, right? Again, the most holy place is where the Ark of the Covenant was housed. It was where atonement was made for sin by the high priest, it also, we find out in First Chronicles 28 and Psalm chapter 132 that it was the place that symbolized the footstool of God. So this was the very place where God's presence resided, the very dwelling place of God. It's awesome that we also find from the book of Hebrews chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, that the holy of holies, the most holy place, was meant to serve as an earthly copy of God's heavenly throne room. That's what the temple was, that's what Solomon's temple was. It was just an earthly copy of what is in heaven. And so this explains why Solomon, in verses 23 through 28, made two angels to stand as guardians of the inner temple. In verses 23 through 28, it says, Inside the inner sanctuary, he made two cherubim, of olive wood, each ten cubits high. One wing of the cherub was five cubits, and the other wing of the cherub was five cubits. Ten cubits from uh, from the tip of one wing to the tip of the other. <clears throat> and the other cherub was ten cubits. Both cherubim uh, were of the same size and shape. The height of one cherub was ten cubits, and so was the other cherub. Then he set the cherubim inside the inner room, and they stretched out the wings of the cherubim so that the wing of the one touched uh, one wall and the wing of the other cherub touched the other wall. And their wings touched each other in the middle of the room. And he overlaid the cherubim with gold as well. So we see these two cherubim, these two statues these of angels. That's what these cherubim are. And they really pretty well dominated the Holy of Holies. They took up most of the, of the area there. 
Uh, each one of them was approximately 15 foot tall, and their wingspans were the same length, maybe a, a tad longer. The cherubim completely spanned the, the length of the inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies. It says they were carved of the olive wood, they were plated with gold. So Solomon's golden cherubim that was built here, they remind us, again, of the beauty of God. They were beautiful. They were covered in gold. They also remind us of His majesty, of His kingship. We know from the book of Isaiah, we know from the book of Revelation, a few other places in the Scripture, that at this very moment, right now, the cherubim are in the presence of God, right now in heaven. I guess you could say that they, they, they're attendants of God's royal throne right now. That's what they're doing. The beautiful golden cherubim inside Solomon's temple imitate that. They imitate the heavenly scene. What's going on right now with the cherubim in heaven? And they indicate that the temple's inner sanctuary is in fact the throne room of God. And it's a sign of His royal presence again. It's a sign of His kingly glory. Uh, the psalmist said that God sits enthroned upon the cherubim. So again, this is a copy, a picture of what's going on in heaven. The cherubim also show us God's holiness. There's no creature, nothing that God created, any holier than a heavenly angel. Nothing. The angels of heaven are perfectly sinless. They're set apart for God's holy service, the Bible says. And as the cherubim offer holy worship to God, they really reflect God's glory. And they, as a matter of fact, they reflect God's glory so much that if we saw one of them, we'd be tempted to worship them. That's exactly what happens in the Word of God. When men have seen these angels, they bow down on their face to worship them. But you know what happened when we see that in Revelation 19 Revelation 22? When those men bowed down to do that, those, those angels said, No! Do not worship us, for only one deserves your worship. That is the Lord, right? So these angels, they teach people to worship God. So by their example, these cherubim call us to worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness, according to Psalm 29, 2 and Psalm 96, 9. So these cherubim are holy. No creature is more holy, but they point to one even holier. For us to worship. That's how holy God is if we can wrap our minds around that. Even the holiest of creatures that are sinless are not holy enough to receive our worship. Only God is. So those cherubim are a picture of those uh, in the temple are a picture of the cherubim at the throne of God in heaven. Well the Bible also describes the doors of the temple in this scripture. Verses 31 through 35 says, For the entrance of the inner sanctuary he made doors of olive wood. The lintel and doorpost were one-fifth of the wall. The two doors were of olive wood, and he carved on them figures of cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers, and overlaid them with gold. And he spread gold on the cherubim and on the palm trees. So all this stuff was on the doors as well. So for the door of the sanctuary he also made doorposts of olive wood, one-fourth of the wall. And the two doors were of cypress wood. Uh, two panels comprised one folding door, and two panels comprised the other folding door. Then he carved cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers on them. 
and overlaid them with gold applied evenly on the carved work. So these doors to the temple were beautiful as well. They were carved with all this uh, stuff that pictures the, what would be in a garden. And they also had the cherubim on them as well. And so the doors uh, gave Solomon and his people, although at this time limited access, the doors gave them access to God. On the one hand, the doors of the temple were there to let certain people in, right? Uh, there was a way to enter into God's temple. There was a way to enter into the house of God, into the presence of God. Uh, there was even a way into the inner sanctuary, into the most holy place, the holies of ho- the holy of holies. So uh, we should praise God uh, for the doors to Solomon's temple. And what they stand for, they testify to us that the perfectly holy God actually desires to have a relationship with people. He desires to, to provide them a way into His presence. But the doors were also there to keep people out. Remember, all, at this point, only the priests were allowed to enter into that temple. And even they could only enter when they were performing performing their priestly duties. They couldn't just go in and out as they pleased. And remember this too, access to the Holy of Holies was even more restricted, right? Only one man could ever enter into the most holy place, the high priest, and he could only do it once a year. He could only do it on the Day of Atonement when he entered into that inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, alone to make that blood offering for the people's sins, according to Leviticus chapter 16. Uh, Other than that, the temple was strictly off limits, right? The doors were shut to show that people could not come into the presence of God except by the representation of their high priest. That's the only way. To understand all of that better, I think when we can... Look at the symbolism in the decorations. I think to understand the purpose of having the limited access to the temple the way they did, we can, we can unpack these decorations and get a better picture of it. Like almost everything inside this temple, the doors, if you didn't catch it, were covered with gold, right? They were covered with gold. They were also decorated with carvings of cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers, the text says. Solomon continued the design inside. It says in verse 29, Around all the walls of the house he carved engraved figures of cherubim and palm trees and open flowers in the inner and outer rooms. So everything was covered with some sort of vegetation. Tree, flower, uh, palm trees, the open flowers. Also the figures of the cherubim, right? The carvings in the temple should remind us of something. And I've alluded to it twice already. What does it remind us of? What are those carvings picture? A garden, right? Those carvings are the perfect picture of what you would see in a garden. And so they point us to a garden. They point us to the original garden. They point us to the Garden of Eden. Those doors meant that uh, it symbolized the very gates of Eden. The gates to paradise. The garden was where our first parents lived, right? Adam and Eve. That's where God placed the two people, he, the, the man He created and the woman He created. And in Genesis 2.9, it says of that garden every, that there every tree 
is there that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. So the trees inside Solomon's temple should naturally remind us of our original home. That is the Garden of Eden, the perfect garden paradise. And remember also in the architecture of the temple engraved in that wood were those cherubim, right? Those angels. That establishes an even stronger connection to the Garden of Eden. Do you remember Genesis chapter 3, verse 24? When God drove Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden for their sin, for eating of the forbidden fruit, what does the Bible say? He placed cherubim somewhere east of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. He placed cherubim there to guard the way to paradise. The Garden of Eden, remember, was a place for Adam and Eve to go and meet with God. The temple is a place for the people to meet with God. But now these cherubim, these angels, barred the way. They prevented Adam and Eve, they prevented the man and the woman from re-entering paradise. So when people came to the door of Solomon's temple, and they saw the cherubim amongst the flowers and those trees and those buds that were are carved in there, they were, if you will, coming to the gates of paradise once again. For most people, again, remember access to Solomon's uh, temple, access to the, to the garden, if you will, was still denied. All the people couldn't come in and see all that stuff carved in there that resembled the garden unless they were the priest, right? They would never see the golden wonders inside that temple. It's like Adam and Eve would never see them again in the Garden of Eden. Only the high priest would ever be able to enter the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. But even though it was limited, there was still access. God was opening up a way back to the Garden, back to Paradise. The temple, uh, I guess you could say, was like a spiritual portal where the Paradise lost could be regained. As a matter of fact, that's not the only allusion we see to paradise in that temple. The gold that was inside that temple, it also uh, is kind of a symbol and it kind of whispers to us of of another everlasting paradise where we see in Revelation 21, verse 21, where even the streets will be paved with gold where the new tree of life is. That was then. That was the temple era. Not everybody could go in and see that. This is now, right? We live in a different era. We're still living somewhere east of Eden. In other words, we, we, we still can't go back to, to the original paradise. We still can't go back to Eden. We still live in a fallen and a broken world. But we see as redemption history uh, develops in Solomon's temple that God is calling us back home. He's providing a way back to paradise. He wants to have a relationship with us. He wants us to see His royal beauty. And He is again inviting us back to paradise. A paradise restored. And the way to enter into paradise restored is through the door. Just like you had to enter through the door of the temple. It's through the door. The door is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
no longer enter through the door of the temple. We enter through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said as much in John 10, 9. He said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Why is Jesus the door? Jesus is the door for us because He has already entered into the most holy place. He has entered in the Holy of Holies, not the Holy of Holies inside Solomon's temple, but the Holy of Holies, which is the real Holy of Holies. See, the one in Solomon's temple was just a copy, remember? A copy of what is in heaven. Jesus has entered into the reality. He has entered into heaven itself. Once again, Jesus entered the throne room of heaven as our great high priest to present the blood of his own sacrifice on the cross as the once and for all atonement for our sin, according to Hebrews chapter 9. Jesus is the once and for all door, and it's open for everyone who will enter. So now, because of his high priestly work, we all have a way back to the garden. We all have a way back to paradise restored. We all have a way back to everything that temple points us to. So my question is, have you entered the door? Have you entered through the door that is the Lord Jesus Christ so you will spend an eternity in the restored paradise, the heavenly city, the heavenly Jerusalem? Have you done that? I hope and pray that you have.